I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. It's September. The kids have gone back to school, the oppressive heat dome is beginning to lift, and the sports calendar has turned from baseball, for those of us whose teams have woefully underachieved compared to expectations, to football. But not all who take an interest in gridiron goings-on are interested in the on-field product. From team names to taking a knee, the NFL is surrounded by left-wing activists who want to push politics on the field. Joining me to discuss the politics of pro football are my Capital Research Center colleagues, Sarah Lee and Kristen Eastler. Uh, Sarah, welcome back. Kristen, I believe this is your first time on the show, yes? It is my first time. Could you let our listeners know a little bit about your background and work for CRC? Yeah, so I am a CRC Senior Vice President, uh, and that largely means that I help manage the research and communications team, make sure that the work that we're doing is on mission, uh, and then... I also run, uh, sort of from a program perspective, Influence Watch. So I'm making assignments and making sure that the that, that the website has its funding and uh, accomplishes its goals. All right. So the reason, of course, that we dragged you onto this particular <laughs> program uh, is that you are a fanatical supporter of the Washington Gridiron Football Club of Landover, or whatever you guys <laughs> are calling yourselves this week. Uh, I must confess, since Dean Spanos took my team away, uh, I don't follow the NFL as much as I used to. Um, so uh, what's going on with that these days? Uh, well, I am a longtime Redskins fan, yes. Uh, I have a hard time not still saying that I'm a Redskins fan, despite the fact that it's supposedly very politically unpopular. Uh, I've been a Redskins fan since 1987, so that's just to, to get a baseline. Um, and for the last... Probably ten years. There's been some discussion of whether the name change, the name is indeed racist. Uh, the most interesting factoid I remember from this was in 2016 when the Washington Post did a survey and they found that I believe it was 96 percent of their respondents. And this is the Washington Post, so you know, not exactly an organization that even at the time uh, was was really willing to look at a both sides argument. Uh, they had an absolute interest in wanting the name to be changed. Uh, and that they found that 96% didn't want the name change. So with that, you start wondering, where did this happen? Uh, and, you know, Sarah, please chime in here. One of the reasons that we wanted to talk about this is because uh, it was, um, I can't remember which outlet ran it, but a story on how the name change really got its uh got the motivation where people started uh, being interested in changing the name from Redskins to whatever we changed it to Washington football team and now commanders, uh, neither of which is popular. Right. So, um, and thank you, Kristen, for joining us. We're really excited to get Kristen on, by the way, because we've been trying to get her on for a while and she's like, no, 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 no. But this was a topic she actually really cares about. So we got her. Um, uh, just because she's a fanatic, you know, football fan. She's got, she does the whole fantasy football thing and all of the things. So anyway, yes, there's a Fox News article, a pretty good one. And I actually had to move it into a Word doc so that it wouldn't start playing commercials while we, <laughs> while we recorded. But it was basically, there's a group. And the reason that I wanted to talk about this is there is a group called the, I think it's the Native American... Uh, National Congress of American thank you. Indians. National Congress the, of American it, Indians. NCAI. They are, they are the uh, representative organization for the 
Native American tribal governments. Thank you. Um, and then there's another one, the um, NAGA, N-A-G-A, which is the Native American Guardians Association, which is a uh, that's another group mentioned in this Fox News article, which is what we're talking about here. There was a, an article in Fox News. Um, NAGA actually wants to reclaim the Redskins logo. So there's a sort of interesting battle going on right now between two groups, uh, both um, that claim. Meanwhile, meanwhile, NCAI led the charge organizationally to get the name. That's back. correct. And so they're but they're both, you know, they claim Native American interests uh, at heart. And so there's kind of a, a battle going on between these two groups about, is it racist to say Redskins? Um, the Fox News article has a, a history of where the name came from. Uh, if you know the history, and I'll let either Scott or Kristen sort of talk about this if they'd like, um, it doesn't sound racist. It sounds like it's a really uh, heartwarming story about some Native American players, including one that we we know named Jim Thorpe, very famous. And the Redskins logo was based on a friend of his and a, a former player who played with Jim Thorpe, who was also a Native American. Tammany, I think is his last name. So the question here is, who are these groups? Who's funding them? It looks like some of the, the funding com, uh, coming into the groups that are pushing some of this stuff is coming from some of our old friends on the left, namely George Soros. I think the Kellogg Foundation is in there as well. So um, it's sort of interesting that something that's not very popular, as Kristen alluded to, is being funded and happening. And so why is this happening and what can we do about it? And, and I think there's actually an interesting story about identity politics as it is practiced here. Because, you know, I, I remember around that same time that the polls that Kristen was talking about, it might have been the Washington Post at a poll of Native Americans. And they didn't fundamentally care about the name of the football team because they had a bunch of actual social problems, still have a bunch of actual social problems that they think need to be addressed. Uh, poverty, unemployment, uh, you know, lack of secure land title, uh, um, you know, environmental concerns. But these representative organizations have proven more interested in getting headlines and getting, uh, you know, and getting their support from national mainstream progressives uh, for these culture war fights. So if you go back, I mean, the National Congress of American Indians isn't a, a small organization. It's been around since the 40s. This is a, it's a well-established group. Um, but you're right that the issue of identity politics starts getting mixed in with this, you know, certainly has happened since the, the, the summer of 2020. And there, there's been a lot of this reckoning, the issue of the name change that's been going on for a little bit longer. Um, I mean, I do remember some of these conversations happening uh, when I was in high school. So I grew up in Arizona. I grew up, you know, maybe 10 minutes from the San Carlos Indian reservation. And at no point when we grew up now, Granted, consciousness, I suppose, was different in this place. The wokeness wasn't a thing. But it was perceived as a, an honor. It was perceived as a, as a valorious kind of, uh, of, certainly the images, certainly the logo was. But you've heard, started hearing some of these things pop up around the country. <clears throat> and, you know, even the Florida Seminoles have had their fights with, you know, do we keep the, the logo or not? And, I mean, they have such a relationship with the Seminole tribe 
that there is no question that that's ever, I don't think that's going to be divorced anytime soon in no small part because there are financial relationships. Uh, and as I understand it from the, the formerly Washington Redskins, there had also been some financial relationships with some of the, the North Dakota tribes. Now, what I'm, in, what I'm intrigued by with the fight between these two organizations, I said, you know, these nonprofit organizations, you know, NCAI has gotten money for years from the big foundations that we've just discussed. But I find interesting that I haven't heard this allegation yet, but what I have seen in public policy debates since I've been in this business, which has been a long time since I'm old, is that the accusation of the newcomer group is that, oh, well, it's just going to be corporate. There's some person who really wants this to happen. And so they've gotten spokespeople or they've gotten they've they've hoodwinked a group of, of individuals to carry their water. But I went and looked back at this group, the the. Guardians Association, it's only been around since 2019. They've only filed um, a postcard uh, IRS form. So they're the, and those postcard forms happen when you don't have a huge budget. 50,000, I think, is the, is the line for the postcard. Yep. And so only in 2022 did they actually do a real filing. Uh, 300 and I think it was $65,000 is their total budget. The people who have founded this group aren't paying themselves. I mean, there's maybe, I don't think anybody who was making more than 5,000 when they listed the, you know, the folks on their, on their board. Um, So it feels like this is a true grassroots organization of people who really care about this issue. And it's almost like a David Goliath where the moneyed interests are, you know, the people that are, that are going to be cited, you know, the, the, popular culture is going to side with the NAIC where the story, you know, if it were in any other place in time, it might be that this little, you know, upstart group of a few people are, are trying to fight for what they feel is pride. It's interesting that you say that the, <clears throat> the popular interests are going to side with the, you know, the, the removal, removal of the name, because one of the things, and it's probably true. I mean, that's probably given our culture right now, that looks to be right. But if you look at the the Fox uh, story, it has a poll, I think. I think that was the right story. It may have been another one that I read about this issue. But I think it's in the Fox one, which we will link in our in our liner notes. Um, there's a poll that, that shows that um, a, a majority of Native Americans don't find this yeah. a very good thing to do. That's that Washington Post poll that I, that I okay. remember back in so the day. So it's popular yeah, exactly in one regard, poll. but not very okay. popular in another regard. <laughs> And what's ironic is that when I when I read that poll back in 2016, and I and again I looked at the calendar, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is a. Uh, I felt like at that moment in time, it was gonna be a done deal. It was like, okay, well, no, we're not gonna stay on this bandwagon. People are not going to really push for this anymore. Um, little did I know. But the real reason I think that the name change happened was Dan Snyder trying to deflect attention away from a lot of the legal problems he was having, not the least of which was a sexual harassment uh, lawsuit. So, you know, you know, there may have been the will to stay had it not been. Well, that and at the point at the time he was looking for a new stadium. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. That's right. He's looking for it in D.C., in Maryland and in northern Virginia three places that are overwhelmingly progressive. Well, and, and now that I'm remembering it, now that you say that, I do remember that I think a couple of the sponsorship 
you know, FedEx being one of them, did kind of do the line in the sand. I think it was an easier way than pushing on the sexual harassment lawsuit for them to say, okay, well, let's let's now make this uncomfortable. Let's make an issue and and kind of put this to bed. It could have been opportunistic, but unfortunately for a lot of people out there who still, I still was smiling on my way into the office today because I saw saw some relatively new uh, car with Redskins logos instead of of WFT, which if you're pulling me, I'm kind of interested in moving back to the WFT. There was some, there was some charm to that. Yeah, because you can change the letters around slightly and it's a very funny hashtag. <laughs> um, but one thing I think that, you know, I'd never say something. Like <laughs> I would. Um, I think one thing that's interesting about this issue uh, right now and the popular relative popularity, there are two things I wanted to bring up. Relative popularity versus, you know, the rightness or the moral rightness or wrongness to these kinds of things. Um you know, this, this notion that we have, that we're erasing sort of we're, we're, by doing this kind of thing. And I keep thinking about taking uncle Ben off the box and, uh, you know, removing Aunt Jemima. I mean, we're actually removing vestiges of our incredible diversity and it bothers me. Now I, I completely understand that there are people who say, well, but they're not great vestiges. They're not maybe things we want to remember about our past, Um, And I hear that and I think that's a perfectly fine um, argument to make, but I really hate that the solution to that is to just say it never happened. We're just going to forget it never happened. Well, and from from the Aunt Jemima Jemima concept that that was, there was a real woman Mm -hmm. behind that and her family is to this day not happy that her image was taken away from from that legacy. Like they've been upset about that for years. So I do think that, and I think it comes back to the collective versus the individual that by so much fealty to be, this is how we must all think it stifles the individual great stories. Um, I was on a, I taught, I was talking to somebody about, I, I was asked the question once on a panel, do you think of the salad bowl or, or yeah, salad, mixed salad or melting pot verse of how America is, you know, which is the best metaphor? And I was talking about it with my best friend and she said, you know, the problem with the salad bowl, the tossed salad concept is that all of the pieces stay together to themselves. And there's really not is that the melting pot, we all take the pieces of one another that I love Cinco de Mayo. I'm half Mexican. I love Cinco de Mayo because it's the silly, stupid bar representation of my culture. I, I like that. And I like St. Patrick's Day and I like Oktoberfest. I, I, all of these little things where the diversity makes the whole better and more interesting and just something more worth talking about. But nope, we got to. And I will say that there is one locality. I think that there's a high school in Arizona, Mesa, where they have stuck to the rest. Yeah, that's in the Fox News article. Yeah, there were a couple, there were a couple mentioned yeah. in the Fox News piece. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, the other that. reason I wanted to talk about this day was, of course, the funding. And Kristen, you sent both Mike and I an article just before we started recording about the um, Climate uh, Extinction Rebellion group. That's a UK group um, who just had another protest at the US Open. Um, or they had another protest, this one at the US Open, uh, very recently. Um, the tennis tournament, not the golf right. tournament. So um, the one in New York. So uh, one of the, and and that was written by um, someone who is actually affiliated with a sort of left-leaning climate action group. So it was an op-ed in a a philanthropy um, 
a magazine that we're familiar with. And one of the contentions that she had, which I thought was, I actually laughed aloud, was she said that these groups, these groups that are engaged in sort of, um, you know, active activism, right, where they're actually disruptive acts of activism is what she called it. I mean, I mean, we've seen it's not just at sporting events, like they'll block roads, right. they're throwing paint on. Right. On, they're the uh, ones that glue themselves to things. Artworks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and. But she says in the article, yeah. they don't get much philanthropic funding. And I wanted to go ahead and throw that out there to you guys, because that seems to me to be radically false. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they, I mean, they may not get as much philanthropic funding as she would like them to Mm -hmm. get. Uh, But they are, I mean, as I understand it, it's one of the Getty heirs. Mm -hmm. Is that right? I think so. Yes, that's right. Yeah, like, and then if you do a Google search for Extinction Rebellion funding, you get Bloomberg's Meet the Money Men behind, you know, the climate activists. It's like very, very big in Hollywood. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, like I'm sorry. I'm sorry. These, these, this is big, this is big money activism. This is how they think change is made. Now, uh, were I advising them uh, and advising them sincerely, not, you know, if I were advising them insincerely, I tell them to keep doing what they're doing. But uh, if I were advising them sincerely, uh, you know, I would say, you know, maybe blocking roads, uh, people idling their cars, maybe that's actually literally bad for the environment. Uh, And, you know, maybe it makes people hostile to your message if you're making them late for work or if you're making them late. I mean, I remember if they did this around here, yeah, around the DC area, somewhere on the Beltway, a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks, a couple months at this point ago, you know. And there's there was this clip of this guy who was like, "I need to make my parole officer in soon, or they're going to send me back to jail." Yeah, like yeah. people's real lie. I mean, like, what if what if you're an ambulance stuck in stuck in that? In that I, it actually happened. I I remember watching. It was a clip of something that happened in Europe. I don't remember what country, but because again, in Europe there are all of these very, very similar kinds of disruptive protests where they're blocking off roadways. And it was a, a family that they were trying to get to the hospital because their daughter was sick, <laughs> and, they, and he literally was try, almost bumping the guy. But you know, now he's in a situation where if he does bump the guy, there would be a lawsuit or he would be at fault. It's it's just it's just interesting to see how we've evolved from uh, publicity stunts have been what you know activists have done for years. And, you know, the 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 um, women's suffragists were there, and I, I think she cites that oh, this stuff is never popular. But I think that what's happened in an era like today, where <laughs> you now have had so many years of billions of dollars of funding going into convincing people that, you know, that that climate change is the most important thing that we need to talk about. And that's, that's one, that's one side argument, but the more important argument and any trade-off is worth it. I think that's where the key piece comes in because I think a lot of people will agree. And there's been polling to show this too, that the climate is important, but it's not the most important thing that people have to face. It's not going to raise then, high and then you have the sort list. of, And you have the general anti-humanist environmentalism mm-hmm. that has been an undercurrent of environmentalism 
for as long as environmentalism has been an, exactly. an identifiable thing. Right, so why are we protecting... The fewer people that we have, the, right. better, and, the fewer people that walk the planet. Right, better. and then what's that? what does that do to your argument that we need to protect the environment? Because is there going to be anyone around to enjoy it if you're saying that humans are ruining it? We got to get rid of the humans. Like, it's just a, it's a strange argument to make. Um, Everything's very circular. It, it, it doesn't always. It, if you draw it to most logical conclusion, the illogic is 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 you know. Overwhelming. Yeah. So yeah. So I, uh, I one other thing I'm interested in about it about this this subject is, and Kristen, you actually brought this up to me when I told you about this story and trying to get you to join us, which I'm so happy you did. Um, you mentioned that there was some funding, uh, behind the Kaepernick, uh, kneeling the, that whole NFL period of time, a couple years of time there where and the NFL was going hard woke. I really hate that word, but it's what the one everyone knows. So they were just going hard left there and, and trying to show that they were, you know, um, they were on the right side of history and, you know, you know, fist in the air and all of this stuff. And this, and this goes to, and, I, and I'll actually broaden the question, uh, you know, why do we think the left are so adamant about politicizing sports? They've politicized everything money. Else. Why can't they yeah. just let us have this little bit? It's money, isn't it? <laughs> well, and I, I think there is some, I, I don't have the demographics in front of me, but you know, there, there is some understanding that a lot of sports watchers are, it depends on which sport, sport it is, but you know, they trend Republican. In a lot of cases. So there's a, or conservative, whichever one you'd like to go. So there's probably some play there. But yes, back in 2020, uh, just like so many corporations did, there was a rush to think, we have to show that we care about this. And the best way to show that we care about this is through throwing money at this issue. And throwing money wound up wound up meaning everything from funding a group like you know Alliance for Safety and Justice, which at the time was a fiscally sponsored group by I think it was the Tide Center. Um, it's now since spun off into its own organization. Um, you know, but those that that group is not. It's not. It's about sort of punishing the police, or you know, not not giving money to the police, which I think we've now all seen the consequences mm-hmm. of not funding a police force. So. You know, and it, this group now, last I looked, uh, had thirty eight, thirty five million dollars in its coffers to be spending on sort of anti police activity. So it's, is that that's that about safety and justice? I, I question some of the the namings are always funny about these mm. groups. I always love the the PR version of what the the group actually does, uh, which is what we try to dismantle on Influence Watch. Is we try to explain the organization about what its actions are, not necessarily what the, what the marketing guys want I know, the name to be or what the mission statement. I know, be. Mike, you've said before when we've talked about the whys of, you know, why, what, is, what are they accomplishing here? Like Kristen, Kristen just mentioned the, you know, sort of defund the police movement, uh, which we've seen the consequences of. So if we know that those are the consequences and they're fairly negative, they're very negative in some cases, um, in some communities, uh, then why would they keep funding him? And and Mike, you have told me, and I'd love both of your thoughts on this. You've told me before that you think sometimes that people uh, that get into funding this kind of stuff, they're just true believers. They actually believe yeah. until the consequences are shown that these are the right moves. Do you, do you... Oh, even after the consequences okay. are shown. Like, I, I mean, I, somebody like, I will use George Soros as the example just because he's the one who comes to mind and the one that everybody knows, but you know, when, and he's one of these people who wants 
fundamental decarceration, essentially defund the police. Uh, he wouldn't use those words, I don't think, but some people he has funded do use those words. Um, the he, he just believes that putting someone in jail is wrong. Funda like fundamentally, I mean, it's like some people are, including Soros, are opposed to the death penalty. They believe it's wrong. Uh, I don't understand how you have a society where some where it's not policed. I I I don't think that's. I, I can't even conceive of how that would work. Uh, you know the, but I mean they they just they they believe it. They. It's, I mean, I, I get back kind of to what. Speaking of. And the, the uh, DC Metropolitans have just gone past my, my office window. I mean, that's a um, gift right there. I mean, that's, um, that's like. The, uh, but as, as I was saying, I think it gets to, I think it was Thomas Sowell who spoke of the, the constrained vision and the unconstrained mm -hmm. vision. And. The whole, you know, defund the police, decarceration, don't punish criminals. That's the ultimate of the unconstrained vision, that, that human nature can be changed such that we don't need this anymore. I think we're seeing the consequences of that. But I don't think people who believe in that unconstrained vision are going to give up on it anytime soon. Okay, so then, Kristen, my question to you, I feel like I'm playing host today, but these are just actual questions <laughs> that I have. So I'm not trying to play host. I'm actually just curious. Um, so then my question to you is, and let me see if I can get it right in my head now that it's jumped right out of my head. Um, it's also about the funding. And if, if we've been talking a little bit in our uh, sort of office chat about if they're throwing money away on the left, right? If, if once they see some of the consequences of those things um, and they still continue to fund it, isn't this just throwing good money at bad results? So let's take the Redskins, for example. Now we've got another group that's come about in the last couple of years. It's fighting hard to reclaim that name, um, which kind of tells me they might back off of it a little bit. I know there's been a lot of, uh, you know, pronouncements from leadership at, at the commanders saying, no, 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 we're not going backward. I actually think they might at some point if they get enough pressure. So then why do they keep throwing money at this stuff? If it proves itself to be unpopular or the consequences are negative, um, why, why do people on the left, the progressive side of the aisle, maybe we do it on the right as well, but what's the deal with throwing all this money at stuff that people don't like and that comes back to haunt them and that has terrible consequences. Well, I think that, you know, just the big picture of all of this is that, you know, every cause becomes a, there's, there's a saying about this. Every cause becomes a bureaucracy becomes big business. I can't remember how the quote I think goes. it starts as a cause, Co becomes yeah. a business, ends as a racket. Ah, yeah, ends as a okay. racket. And, that, that's, and so in some cases, a lot of these things have become the corporations that they rail against. A, a lot of these nonprofit groups, because w there is literally no interest in an organization that has a president and has accountants and has, you know, people who have kids and it, it's funding supplies a whole downstream of, you know, people's livelihoods, you're not going to pack up and go away. Like, okay, our goal this year is to do X. And 
they do X and then, okay, we're done. We're going to go away. Like you, 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 the, a, a normal corporation is going to think, how can I, the, how can I expand my market? How can I get new clients? How can I do all of this? The, the, the AFL didn't close down when the 40 yeah. hour work week was enacted. The NAACP didn't close down when they yeah. passed the Voting Rights Act of 65. The human rights campaign didn't close down after Obergefell made gay marriage nationwide. These, you know, corporations live forever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so, I, I mean, it's funny because we have talked about this a little bit at CRC that, you know, I, and this was probably a conversation that may have had been held right before you got here, or maybe you had just gotten here, Sarah. We were talking about like we'd like to shut up and, and go right. home. We wouldn't. We would be happy to stop doing this work, but we can't because the 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 right is very well exposed. the The media does a really good job of figuring out where some of the myths or malfeasance is there. Uh, they don't do as good of a job on the left. And we know that there are more by numbers and more by dollars. Um, I, I'm about to, we're about to release this, this new study that just shows the imbalance. Um, the imbalance that we tracked previously was basically a four to one difference of these public policy charities that are changing the way people think about public policy issues and outcomes. And the right is outnumbered both by dollars and by sheer numbers of organizations. And you know the number that we're going to show this next time is much much larger. I, I you don't want to you know step on my own press release, so um, <laughs> stay tuned to stay tuned to hear what that number is. But it's wild how big it's grown um, in the 2019 and 2020 election cycle. So of, of spending on charitable groups, which I use election cycle because the other two rivers of money, hard dollars and and outside spending, those are measured in election cycle. So we looked at the. Um, at the charitable giving in the election cycle also. All right. Well, given, uh, given that uh, admonishment to watch this space, <laughs> uh, I think I will now say thanks again to my colleagues, Kristen Eastlick and Sarah Lee for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.